0: There are two passages of scripture on my heart tonight and I want to share both of them. The first is in 2 Kings chapter 4. And uh, Eric read this so beautifully a while ago. And I just want to brush up on some of the thought of it. Elijah was God's special man. He was the prophet. The Shunammite woman had a need. And as he passed by from time to time, the Shunite woman said to her husband, Let's build a little cabin onto our house. We'll call it the prophet's chamber. And when he comes by, we'll ask Brother Elijah to stay here. How beautiful that is. Well, Elijah came from time to time and would stay in that little cabin. And uh, he sort of felt there was a need in that home and didn't know what the need was. And so he said to his servant Gehazi, You asked the Shunammite woman to come here and stand in the door and and ask her what kind of a need she and her husband have. I just sense there's a need there." Well, the Shunammite woman was a little bit uh, hazy in what she said and finally she said, "'Sir, we have no children and my heart longs for a son.'" Well, Elijah was close to God and if you read much in the Bible, you'll read that those men who were very close to God had somehow a through line, like a telephone line to heaven. This was true, it was repeated many times in the Old Testament. And so God gave Elijah the faith and the permission to say to that Shunammite woman, next year at this time, you're gonna have a son. Well, she was thrilled. And sure enough, a year later, the son was born. And he grew up. And they were things were so happy at home. Then one day, he came in after lunch. Had a severe headache. And he died. And of course, a terrible shock and tears and hurt. But that Shunammite woman was a woman of faith. And so. She said to one of her servants, you go get me an, an ox, an animal, an ass, and I want to saddle it, and I'm going for a ride. Well, he went out to the, I guess, the barn, and the husband said, where, where is my wife going? Well, the servant said, she didn't say where she was going, but she just asked me to saddle this animal and get it ready. And so without saying anything, she took off. And she came with all speed and came to where the prophet was. And when she met him, he said, uh, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? And she answered, it is well. Now, in the heart of her heart, she knew it wasn't well. But that was a woman of faith. So she began to say to the prophet, you mocked me. Did I not tell you that I couldn't have a son and my son is in trouble, he, he's, di- he, he's dead. And I don't know what to do about it. Elijah got up. First of all, he sent Gehazi ahead and he said, you go and find this son and I put, uh, put the uh, sword on him and just stand there and, and uh, check him try to get him back. Well, Hazel went with all of his might and he came to the place and he found the, the boy was dead. Elijah came. And I want to tell you, things change when God comes on the scene. A lot of things are different. And Elijah went into that chamber where the boy lay. And the boy came back to life. Now that doesn't occur many times in the Bible, but it occurs enough to know that God is still in charge of everything. This was a home where the Lord was in charge. And you'll notice that that woman was a woman of faith. Tonight I want to just share with you uh, some of the friends of the home and some of the enemies of the home. The Shunammite woman had a home and she had some friends of her home and she had some enemies of the home. And you know uh, yesterday, I believe it was yesterday, I was meeting with some of our young people and I just asked them, uh, what do you think are some enemies of the Christian home? What do you think are some enemies? And a long list was given. Somebody said adultery. Somebody said misuse of the television. Parents not in unity. Father and mother changing roles, pornography, profanity, worldliness, the world flesh and the devil, women working out, alcohol, sports worshiping, desecration of the Lord's Day, sin, divorce, neglect, peer pressure, gambling, all those things are enemies of the Christian home. And I want to tell you, our homes are being attacked by each one of these areas. These are enemies of the home. And I think if you would uh, put them all together, you'd come up with three big enemies. Number one, faithlessness. Faithlessness. The woman, the Shunammite woman was a woman of faith. When she had a need, she said to the, Shunamm, to the uh, prophet, here's my need. And, uh, She had that son. And when the son was half grown, he died. She had another need. She had faith in God. And I want to tell you, sometimes we go to all the wrong places for the answers, and we don't get the right answers. It's because of faithlessness. One of the great enemies of the home today is faithlessness. We don't have faith The Bible says, have faith in God. Another one of those enemies is the are the futile investments we made. We make. Feudal investments. Now I'm not speaking necessarily of money investments, though that's possible. But there are many futile investments we make. Uh, Among those is the futile investment of our time in television. That may not be a very popular thing to say, but some people are just glued to the television. Someone said that our young people spend 65 hours a week watching television. Some of them more than that. And what they see on television is not good for us. Occasionally, you'll see an educational program, sometimes something good, many, many times, you have to sift through all the garbage to find a teaspoonful of something that's good. That television sometimes is an enemy. It's, a, it's a, fail, a, a, a futile investment of our time. Another futile investment of our time sometimes is in the craze for sports in our day. Nothing wrong with sports. Nothing wrong with having a good time. But sometimes we focus on that to the exclusion Of that which is good and we substitute that for which we substitute the lesser for the uh, for the better Paul wrote to the Philippians he said this I pray that you may discern things that are excellent many many godly homes do not have to choose between the bad and the good we have to choose between the good and the excellent and every home in this room tonight is, in, is, is affected by that kind of investment. What will you do with the valuable things that God wants us to have? Divorce is a tragic, tragic thing. Forgiveness is much better than divorce. Let me say it again. Forgiveness is a much better thing than divorce. I've heard some people say, well, if my husband or my wife was ever unfaithful to me, I'd never live with them again. I'd get a divorce quickly. Forgiveness is a lot better than divorce. I want to underscore that. That doesn't give anybody the license for infidelity, but it does say, Keeping that home together when you have said for better or for worse for richer or for poorer in sickness and in health to love and to cherish until God by death shall separate you In our day many people don't take that seriously I want to tell you the covenant of marriage you make is made before God It's made before all the witnesses And to break that is a tragedy One way it's broken of course is through promiscuity infidelity and that's a poor use of our time a futile investment of the thrills that come you can have a little thrill and you can have a little what we call enjoyment but all oh, the consequences and the interest you have to bear and have to pay because of that futile investments tragedy. And then last of all, failure in partnership with God. In the Christian home, there must be a partnership with the Lord, a partnership into which you go into a relationship with the Lord. He is your partner. It's like a business relationship and Christ is the head of that business. You're not the head of it, but Christ is the head of it. And so we seek His counsel and His direction, His will. Well, what about friends of the home? I asked some people, some friends of the home. Some said, well, discipline. Others said, uh, uh, a strong authority figure in the Father, recognition of God, unity, keeping your house clean, keeping your room clean, teaching the kids Like Rebecca said, she was taught when they got to the table in the morning, have you cleaned your room and have you had a quiet time with the Lord? That was really good. Uh, Assurance of the parent's love. All these things are friends of the home. I want to just uh, sort them out and give you three thoughts about the friends of the home. Number one, family altar. Family altar. A couple that prays together stays together. Now, somebody has to start it. I believe it's the father's business to start it, but if the father won't do it, the mother ought to do it. Somebody needs to begin having a family altar in your home. I do not know how many in our church have have family altars. Now, sometimes we have the idea that a family altar is some spooky, hard, difficult thing to get going. It really isn't. You can have family altar in five minutes. You can have family altar in 30 minutes. It can take an hour, whatever. But you can have family altar right at the breakfast table or at the supper table, or just before you go to bed at night, or when everybody comes home in the afternoon, or whenever, you can have, it takes strong personality to say, I'm gonna barrel through this schedule, I'm gonna do it, regardless, I'm going to have a family altar. Kids can start it. It's very hard for a mother and daddy to say no to the son or daughter they love when son or daughter comes and says, mom and dad, could we just pray together? Could we read the Bible and pray together for about five minutes? Most parents wouldn't say no to that. Somebody needs to start the family altar. And a couple that prays together stays together. Secondly, freedom from guilt. That's a friend of the home. There's only one way to be free from guilt. Every one of us is guilty. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one, there's not a just man on earth that doeth good and sinneth not. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath to lay on Jesus the iniquity of us all. There is only one way to be free from guilt. Number one, trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Invite Christ to come in. He's the sin bearer. He's the one who took all your sins and they were nailed to the cross. And when Jesus died, he died for all of our sins, every one of them, past, present, and future. All my sins are gone, all because of Calvary. Place your guilt on Jesus. And then, after you're saved, there's gonna be times of sin. Sin will creep in. The world, the flesh, and the devil are the three chief enemies. And those things will creep into our lives and try to eat out our life blood and our spiritual tranquility. And what we need to do is take those to the Lord. When you have sinned as a Christian, what do you do about it? Curl up in a knot and die? Now you may not agree with what all I'm going to say to you tonight. You have a perfect right to disagree and, and you may be more wise than I am, but through observation and counseling through the years, I just want to share this with you. I do not believe that it's necessary for a woman to tell every detail of her life to her husband nor for a husband to have to tell tell every detail of his life to his wife you do need to tell it to Jesus take it to God give it to him if you're if you have a sense of guilt in your life take that thing to the Lord if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness He'll do it and he'll do it just like that. He'll forgive you and beloved when your sins are under the blood of Christ, you don't need to accuse yourself. And when the devil comes again to try to accuse you and hurt you and defame you and discourage you, send him to Calvary. A black woman was telling the story about her encounter with the devil and she said, I was free from sin. I was free from the guilt of sin. And somebody said, but what do you do when the devil tries to accuse you of, of, of sin, of some guilt that's in your life? Why, she says, I sends him to the east, and I sends him to the west. And I sends him back to the east, and I sends him back to the west. Because God said, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed my transgressions from me. Beloved, when you put your faith in the Lord, when you have faith in God, and you're honest with God, and you take your sins to God, God forgives for Jesus' sake. Not for your sake. He doesn't forgive you and just wink at your sin because you said, I'm sorry, God. It wasn't that at all. You have to take your sins to the cross. Jesus paid the price for all of our sins. And when we observe the Lord's Supper in a few moments, when you take that bread and you take that cup, you remember that the Body of Jesus was broken for you his blood was shed for you that your sins would be under the blood of Christ all my sins are gone and so a great friend of the home is freedom from guilt last of all faith in God you do not know what's going to be on tomorrow I don't either we may have a tornado tomorrow and destroy all of our homes there have been floods and tornadoes and earthquakes in our generation like perhaps no other generation. Thousands and thousands have become homeless and, and many have been killed by the storms about what we call acts of God. But we have to trust God, just place our faith in God. When a couple stands at the marriage altar, I often tell them, you do not know what the future is gonna hold, but you know who holds the future. You know the Lord God, he's in charge. And if you'll have faith in God, somehow he'll take care of it all. And God will watch over you through the years ahead. Now there are times when trouble comes. There are times when disaster comes. What do you do in times of disaster and trouble? You still have faith in God. Years ago, a little girl named Amy had leukemia. And I witnessed to her in the hospital. She was a little eight-year-old girl and I was t- talking to her about Jesus, and she said, I want to give my heart to Jesus. And I said, well, that's wonderful. I tried to show her how. She gloriously invited Christ to come into her heart and save her. And then she reached over and said, Mama, give him a pocketbook. Now, you know, we don't understand children sometimes, and I thought, well, maybe she's thinking about something completely different now. And she, her, her mother gave her a pocketbook. She reached in and got a dollar. And she said, uh, I want you to take this and give it to Jesus and say, thanks to him for saving me. <clears throat> Went to see her one day and she couldn't see. That leukemia had affected her eyes. And she said, would you pray that I'll be able to see? I can't see. In a little while, she was hemorrhaging. We took her to the hospital and I stood in the emergency room with her. She said, tell me about Jesus. Tell me all you know about Jesus. She said, ask him to let me see. I stood by her, her arm was on the shoulder. I prayed that God would let her see. In a few moments, she was gone to heaven. God answered her prayer. She's been seeing all these years. God does answer prayer. She had faith in God. I talked to her mother and daddy after that. They were brokenhearted and hurt. But they were a couple that had faith in God. They believed God. I want to tell you, tragedies will come. Hurts will come. Uh, Sad things will come. I'm speaking to people tonight in this room who have had someone come to you and say, I don't love you anymore. I don't want to live with you anymore. You're talking about a hurt and rejection and and tragedy it hurts but I want to tell you have faith in God and God will keep you and God will take care of you and you'll go through it all and the Lord will bless Paul said one day I have delivered unto you that which also I received that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and broke it and when he'd given thanks he distributed and then he took the cup after the like manner. And after they had prayed, he distributed the cup and they drank of that, of that cup. It is not called wine in the Bible. It's called the cup. We use grape juice. Amen. And in that, uh, in that symbol, Jesus was saying to his disciples, as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come you are demonstrating faith in God. And you're demonstrating that you're free from the guilt of sin. In a little while, we're going to pray. We'll have an invitation. We'll invite people that were without Jesus to come and trust Christ. I want to tell you, your sins tonight can be under the blood. All of them, past, present, and future. I have good news for you. There's life for a look. If you'll just look to Jesus, There's life, there's forgiveness, there's cleansing, there's purpose, there's pardon, there's power. But it all begins with a look look to Jesus of faith and reaching out and saying, come into my heart, Lord. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if we're already saved, it means, Lord, there's some things in my life that maybe nobody knows about, just you and me. And I want to ask you to help me with these. And I want to confess them to you. I'm not going to hide them from you. I confess them, openly tell you about them. And I trust you to forgive me. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Our Father, we thank you for the friends of the home. and the, We thank you that you have pointed out in the scripture the enemies of the home. We pray that just now, someone, would step out of yesterday's failures, yesterday's problems, and step into a glorious tomorrow by placing his faith, her faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may those who are saved on their way to heaven have a joy in their lives as they again, as we again, place our sins over on the cross and trust the saving, cleansing, forgiving, pardoning power of God to cleanse us from all sin. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, number 146. 146, Jesus paid it all. Now that's good news for you, listen. He didn't pay just part of it and you have to pay the rest of it, he paid it all. Every sin in our lives, Jesus atoned for at the cross. Now to have faith in God means to put your trust in what Jesus did. In Dying for our sins for the wages of sin is death and then being raised from the dead and he's alive today He's a living Savior. We don't serve a dead Jew buried in a tomb in Jerusalem. He's alive He's alive and he's living right here tonight And if you'll invite him into your life into your heart, he'll forgive and cleanse and save you and if you're already saved you can have joy and peace and purpose and uh, and provision day by day while we begin to sing this is a time also of recommitment. And I want to ask you as, as we sing, maybe in your heart you could just talk to God. There may be some who'd want to come forward, maybe kneel at the bench, or just come and say, I want to recommit my life, or I want to come and trust Christ as my savior. I want Jesus to come into my heart and be my savior. Wouldn't that be glorious on this 13th of April? If you'd say, I'm starting all over tonight, I'm starting with the Lord. While we sing, will you step out for Christ?